Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Wednesday, March 16th, 2022. I am John Podhoritz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Senior writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And associate editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. We are uh, coming to you literally minutes after the conclusion of um, Volodymyr Zelensky's speech uh, before Congress. Um, Policy-wise, there were a couple of interesting wrinkles. Uh, There's going to be a lot of Talmudic dissection of what it was that he was actually asking for, uh, which which we can do uh, in a bit ourselves. Um, But first, uh, why don't we sort of gauge the uh, effect of this um, uh, remote address. Christine, what was your takeaway from it? Well, I, I mean, obviously it was incredibly moving, um, particularly the, the the short film clip that he showed, which ended with the message, close the skies, which is a little different than, you know, it, it have a no-fly zone. There's a very, it, uh, in terms of messaging, they are certainly going straight for the heart. I mean, these absolutely heartbreaking images of injured children, um, people fleeing, the, the, the before and after pictures of many of the cities in Ukraine that have been decimated by Russian bombing. I think there was something about an an extremely uh, moving violin music playing in the background. I mean, obviously, you know, you're being shown something horrible and you're meant to see it, but there was something about it all brought together in one short uh, group of images that I assume uh, members of Congress, even those who follow the news and we do as well, it's, it makes your stomach drop seeing, seeing the, the destruction um, he was he he gave a similar sort of address as he's given to the Canadian Parliament to the UK uh, Parliament. He's he's doing a tour and he's doing it uh, very purposefully. Uh, he's he didn't over emote. He just kind of he, he's extremely stalwart, stoic even. But the the phrase that he kept repeating in the in the uh, targeting directly uh, to Biden was, "You if you're the leader of the free world, you have to be a leader of peace." And I think that was actually quite effective messaging, saying part of leadership is making sure you keep the peace, you be the leader of peace. And to keep the peace, you sometimes have to, I assume Zelensky's messages go to war. I mean, he, they're at war. So that part of the message I thought was was uh, persuasive. As to the details of what he wants, we're still in the same conundrum uh, that we've been debating here on the podcast. So I'm not sure in terms of whether there's going to be a no-fly zone but in as a as a as a message as a, as a sort of pulling at the heartstrings kind of message i thought it was very powerful and and i'll be interested to hear what you guys think and what congress congress's response is yeah i How think would, uh, ahead, you add to the, <clears throat> the, the close the skies was particularly effective immediately following the film because it's he sort of showed the the, the hell raining down from the skies and then said stop this right and close also, the sky is actually close the, what the, no, close the sky over yes. ukraine right and and he said you know stop this is the stop what you just saw and it's also where he abandoned the translator um, right uh, which i think was a good tonal shift um it was interesting i think that uh zelensky who uh, apparently does speak english uh he that that was not like he was reading that last section, the sort of last three or four minutes phonetically, um, that he decided to deliver most of the speech in Ukrainian. I assume it was Ukrainian and not Russian. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure, but, um, uh, because, um, 
I, I think he wanted to seem um, authentic uh, and like it wasn't that much of a performance and that and that he he's still speaking mostly to his people for his people. Um, whereas, you know, we're used to these um, moments where foreign uh, leaders come before Congress in these joint sessions. There, there aren't many of them. I mean, there was Bibi Netanyahu in 2015. Uh, Vaslav Havel gave a, a a famous speech before Congress that was um, incredibly philosophically complex and in which he said things like, I have now decided as I have aged that uh, a being precedes consciousness and then received a standing ovation when you know that like 400 of the 535 people in that room had no idea what on earth he was talking about when he said that it meant a lot that he now believed that being precedes consciousness. Um, and this was a much more workmanlike uh, speech. It was pretty plain. I mean, it wasn't, there were no rhetorical flourishes, particularly. Uh, I mean, we don't really know because we don't know what it's like in the original language. Um, it was very basic. He said, it's like, you know, I'm reminded of, you know, 9-11. I'm reminded, you know, this is like 9-11 is happening every single day here, uh, just to give you a sense of what it's like. Um, but um, but the whole, his whole effect is being a, an informal not grand person, right? He's sitting there in a effectively in a t and like uh, uh, athleisure garb. You know, he was in this right, this kind of green. I don't know what you would call it. Like Teats. I say, like athleisure. What the t-shirts? No, but it, oh, yes. no, but it was but like, are, but it was like, yeah. it was like athleisure, and uh, with this. Apologies um, to all our armed service personnel who are currently what uh, training in athleisure. <laughs> this is military. What do you garb. mean? They're military fatigues. They're military yeah. Were they? fatigues. Yeah, t-shirted. Yes. Yeah, he sometimes okay. wears a hoodie, though. All right. So, uh, well, okay, but re- it reads. It reads. I, I apologize for being illiterate in this in this respect, but I mean, if you take me then as an example of what you know, ordinary Americans watching this might might think they would. The whole point about him is that he is not playing it big. He is playing it small, and he said this thing in the course of the speech where he said. Um, you know, a size doesn't matter. You know, what matters is sort of like what's what, what's in your heart. I sort of took no. I'm trying to see if I have this. Strong doesn't mean brave or big. And so the idea is, well, we're you know we're we're David, they're Goliath. Um, and but what what we are is strong. And so I have you, that you know, part, that portion of the speech because I think it's an, a, a little bit unfair to say there was no emotional. Uh, affecting emotional uh, displays here. What? No, no. First... I'm not saying. I'm saying he's very plain spoken. I he that he wasn't going for high flowing rhetoric is what I meant. Not not the that he wasn't going for emotion. Was very technical, and it did, did you know tug on your heartstrings when it came to uh, invoking Martin Luther King Jr.'s "I Have a Dream" speech, uh, 9/11, Pearl Harbor, and how this is all our you know uh, our shared history now, and uh, we need to close the skies and no flies on. And if that's not good enough for you, he says, provide us with S 300s, which is an advanced air defense system. This is all in Ukrainian. And we're already doing that. We're sending SAs, SA8s, SA10s, SA12s, SA14s, which are Soviet era military air defense systems that they can use. That was all the technical part transition into the video, which broke you. Anybody who has small children cannot watch that without tears streaming down their face. I include myself and then transitions into the poetry when he speaks in English. And the part you're describing here is what struck out at me. 
Peace depends on those next to you, those who are strong. Strong doesn't mean weak. Strong is brave and ready to fight for the life of his citizens and the citizens of the world and to die when your time comes. That, to me, was a show-stopping moment, Um, a demonstration of a willingness that's perfectly on display, but an articulation of this man's willingness to fight and die on this hill. Although, although that's not what he meant. That was, I thought, um, uh, that's what I thought he was saying. And then it wasn't quite what he was saying. He said to die when your time comes and not when it's wanted by someone else. Meaning, uh, uh, one should not be in the position that Ukraine is in, in which a, in which, in which an invader is determining the time of your death. Your time comes when God or whatever the universe declares it. And uh, it's not that he wasn't saying that he wasn't willing to die, but that he was well, he was making a slightly different and more interesting point. I thought a more interesting point, which is like I'm willing to die in this hill. It was more like, do you understand that we are living in a we are living in a place in which the proper administration of our death, which let's say theoretically is divine or something like that, is being interrupted by uh, people who are decide want, who want us to be dead. So you, Somebody this, else wants us to be dead, and that is unjust, and that must stop. This is where the, the Talmudic dissection comes in, because, <laughs> because I, I actually thought it was effective because I thought it actually encapsulated both meanings. Okay, um, so you're like, you're like, you you're right, you're right, and you're death. also right. Well, no, no, yeah. but not even just saying no, that. Yeah. You choose the time, you, 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 well, you can't choose the time, but you, you, you die according to your own lights, not not someone else's lights, and I I will die on this hill. If right. Need be. Um, I see no sense in life if it cannot stop the deaths. Now that I don't know that that is some kind of might be a slightly mangled. I mean, that's when he was speaking himself, but he said that he's forty five years old and that his time on Earth or his aging stopped uh, when he saw a hundred children die. And I'm trying to figure out what exactly that that means. I think what it meant was that, uh, you know, um, uh, he will fight to, like, this may be it for him. Uh, once he saw the children die, you know, there's no going back. Whatever happens now is going to happen. Uh, it was may, all very broken may... English. My, my uh, rough stenography is now I'm almost 45 years old. Today my age stopped when my... When the heart of more than a hundred children stopped beating, I see no sense in life if it cannot stop death. And this is my main issue as the leader of my people, great Ukrainians, and as leader of my nation, I'm addressing President Biden. You are the leader of a great nation, and I am with you. Being the leader of the world means being the leader of peace. <clears throat> and he repeated that. Yeah. He repeated the uh, leader of the world. You are. Uh, I wish you to be the leader of the world. Being the leader of the world means being the leader of peace. He also right? he argued in twice. favor of something that uh, we've been talking about in this podcast uh, with uh, our friend and contributing editor Eli Lake, in favor of the creation of a league of democracies that would replace the post-war institutions that have inarguably failed in their primary charge to prevent great powers uh, in engaging in wars of aggression and territorial conquest. And he called it something, right? He called it U24. Was that at I-24, something like that? And the idea was that not only should there be this alliance, but that its goal should be to stop aggressions of the sort that, you know, any future aggressions like this aggression within 24 hours. 
in other words, that they would agree to go in an overwhelming force to repel some kind of a first, you know, and that 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 would be the promise. So, I mean, it's interesting because he's clearly trying to um, formulate. Uh, he's not just saying they're saying, "Give me money," right? He's saying, "Close discovery Ukraine. If you won't can't do a no fly zone, give me this." Uh, clearly, the international system has failed. You're all great. Let's let's make something new. Given the way the international system was working, let me give you stuff to chew on. Let's let's have some topics for discussion. But in general, the whole idea is here. I want to be not only do I want things from you, but I want to be helpful. I want to help you know move things uh, forward. I'm not just talking about myself. This is a problem for the entire world. Uh, it's not just Ukraine that is at risk, but everybody is now at risk if this kind of aggression can uh can be allowed to stand um so in in that sense it was it was a very a clever uh uh i think work of statesmanship um because he wasn't there, just saying gimme 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 but there was also a, a pretty uh not even thinly veiled criticism not just of the international order but of the biden administration in particular in there that i heard and that's that the reason he's talked about obviously what he's saying is this NATO is not working for us. We're we're a democracy. We're a free country. But since we're not in the club, we're not we're we're left to our uh, on our own here with you know a, a much more powerful enemy attacking us daily, killing our children, slaughtering us. And you sit there and dither about details. And that's we get that we understand that that's the system as it is. But you claim to be a world power who wants to promote you know who wants peace, wants you know wants to stop this kind of aggression. So you have two options. One is be the you know to Biden specifically be a leader of peace, be someone who steps up in front of the world and says, we will defend peace, we'll defend democracy in this way. And this old order needs to be scrapped because there are a lot of us out there who are free people. But since we're not in this club, we are left, you know, vulnerable to the far more powerful aggressors. I mean, I actually took that as a pretty threading that needle while still saying thank you so much for the help you've given us so far was a really difficult task. And he achieved that. Well, I think he made it more of a challenge than a dig. You know, and and uh, well, he said that explicitly. He said, "I thank you so much. I'm asking you to do more." I mean, that which is which is a challenge. Yeah, asking you to be the leader of the free world. I think that was the actual direct quote. Yeah, but he said, "I asked." But we love to boast about being that. But now it's like put up. I wish you. (laughs) I wish you to be the leader of the free world of the world, not the free world. Right, leader of the free world, the leader of the world, and I, I think right. So. Um, you know, of course, that is a needle to be threaded because th- this is the point. He's coming. He's coming to us, and you know, uh, what is he sp- scolding? Is he supposed to scold after you know after we've done so much for him or whatever? Um, but I think, yeah, the the multiplicity of options and policy possibilities. Not that not, not a multiplicity is is too many, but uh, that that he proposed. Please give us a no fly zone. If not, give us anti aircraft weaponry, you know, we stand at the ready to accept whatever help you can give us, but we need more. And, um, and, uh, there is something world historical going on here. This is a nine 11 every day. This isn't just, you, you know, what happened to you on nine 11. We have nine 11 every day. And, uh, you found it necessary to kind of, you know, alter the American approach to the world and alter the world in some sense after nine 11. And this may be something that you need to do again uh because this isn't just about us this isn't just about ukraine 
This this was interesting to me because what I what I saw him doing again also very effectively he understands the American people in a way that we don't understand the Ukrainians and and what I mean by that is that like our elite has a particular view of of what's going on in Ukraine he gets he went straight for the heartstrings with that video but those statements reminding us of the of the time when we were under attack and what that felt like that visceral reaction that was also really important and i think he did that again very well without sort of making it a kind of pandering remark um that that touches americans there are a lot of americans who probably think ah we don't need to be in ukraine that's so far away that's not our problem he's trying to show us how it is our problem and although analysts have been saying this for a while and talking about it that really i think for members of congress was very important too Right. He also he also analogized it to Pearl Harbor. He mentioned Pearl Harbor. He mentioned Mount Rushmore. He mentioned having seen Mount Rushmore, which would be interesting if he's seen Mount Rushmore because I haven't I haven't seen Mount, Mount Rushmore. Um, uh, hard to he get to Mount I Rushmore. I remember Mount Rushmore. Rushmore. I'm not sure if you ever right. been there. I don't think yeah. he has. But I mean, the whole point is he's he was trying to say you're an inspiration to me. You know. The, your country is an inspiration to people everywhere. Um, live up. Live up I, I hope you live, live up, live, live up to what we have come to think of you and, and be, you know, be, remember be, if you, when, yeah. When I, when I said that in Biden's stirring attempted at the stirring uh, speech about Ukraine at the start of his state of the union was cheap. This was sort of saying, okay, put your money where your mouth is now. Yeah. This is, now, yeah. Right. Now, we're told that sometime later in the day, uh, later today, Biden is going to announce a new package of Ukrainian relief. I don't really understand 1. what that 1 is. Billion, $1.1 billion worth yeah. of arms, part of the $15 billion that had been approved by Congress last week, uh, including, as we talked about, these post these Soviet era uh, area denial systems, anti-aircraft systems, big heavy man pads. I mean, this is nothing to sneeze at. Uh, and it's also stuff that Ukrainians can operate because they can't operate a Patriot missile battery. We'd have to do that for them. And that's not helpful. Um, no fixed wing aircraft. But also now they're talking about these loitering systems, drones, very uh, sophisticated um, and cheap drones, like $6,000 a piece that you can launch off your shoulder that uh, loiter around targets and can uh, neutralize them from the air that, uh, using blade technology and what have you. It's, it's pretty advanced technology, but it's offensive weaponry. We're not talking about defensive weaponry. These drone systems like Bakratyars from Turkey, and these are actually much more sophisticated than the Bayraktars. Um, that's the sort of thing that can, that is an offensive weapon that can kind of bridge the gap between a fixed wing aircraft for an offensive operation and an offensive operation from a UA vehicle. I mean, that's, that's about as good as I think we can get. And if that's actually in motion, then that is a game changer. Look, I, you know, I, I do think that something that I've been saying over the last four or five podcasts is 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 coming to be some form, at least, of rhetorical conventional wisdom among people who you know are hawkish on on this matter, which is that we we spent we've spent a week and a half uh, allowing the Russians to define the terms of the battlefield engagement that we wish to engage in. They're the ones who say you can't go here. There's the, they're the ones who say you can't go there. The Pentagon and the Joint Chiefs of Staff are listening to them and responding to them and saying they're saying they will deem X, Y, and Z aggressive, and so we have to be very cautious here. And I'm not against caution. I'm not against thinking thoroughly through the implications 
of things that you're doing. And I understand that what I'm saying here uh, is a little rhetorical and not practical, but the idea that we allow them to say what it is that we can do uh, is, is a, is exactly the sort of thing that is the implicit uh, criticism that Zelensky is making when he says, I want you to be leader of the world. You cannot allow the Russians to define American military uh, policy and strategy toward this conflict. This is why the switchblades, these these drones, would be so important because it would blur the distinction between offensive and defensive platforms that we've sort of allowed Moscow to establish and right. have observed. I, it's, it's, this is all improvisatory, but that does begin to blur the lines between what's an offensive platform, what's a defensive platform, what are we going to sell them, what are we going to provide them, rather. And right. I think they're probably much more effective than, than uh, Soviet-era MiGs. And that blur is very much uh, at work even now. I mean, you're you're saying that would be an advance on that, but you know, it's sort of like what Tom Cotton said the other day. I mean, you think a stinger, a stinger is a defensive weapon, but you know, it's like if we're giving them, what's the distinction between giving them stingers to fire off and giving them a MIG uh, plane? There is no distinction. A stinger destroys, a stinger shoots down planes or helicopters more more likely. And and that's that's what a that's what a MIG theoretically would do, and we are at we are allowing our 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 leading defense policymakers, including the president of the United States, are allowing have been allowing the Russians to say no 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 you don't 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 you go that far, no 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 cross a border the MIG can cross a border you know, into territory. Yeah, it can no, also I, execute I, offensive operations against a stalled column, for example. A stinger can't do that. Right. I, I understand why the Russians wouldn't want the Ukrainians to have the MiGs. That's not, that's not the point. I mean, the, the point is, the point is uh, not to repeat this old world versus new world trope that I've been sort of obsessing over because it's also wrong because it's not an old world but it, it's uh, it's um it's it's inaccurate and it's not catchy enough to be a meme like the uh, milk like the milk carton meme with Anthony Fauci that we're getting a lot of traction on by the way we keep getting I mentioned yesterday so we should make a meme out of the uh, Fauci on the milk carton and then we got like 20 different people sending us either prior or current we have awesome memes. listeners we have awesome also you guys are awesome and it was really amazing <laughs> but this old world versus new world thing meaning uh, our goal here is not to inflame Russia's, you know, uh, Putin's crazy and we can't inflame him. And, you know, we want to do what we can to help Ukraine. But look, they're probably going to fall anyway. So we should keep our powder dry and not, you know, commit all of our resources. You know, we want to keep our powder dry. And I, I mean, it's just a bridge too far. It's just a bridge too far. And then the question is, well, no, maybe that's not the way to think about this. Um, because we are, you know, if we deny ourselves, uh, the, the very thing that provides the deterrence that is necessary, like if the Russians know that the Ukrainians have 30 MiG aircraft, um, that could have a positive deterrent effect on them continuing to fire on civilian positions, uh, because they're, because we would, the, the we, the Ukrainians would then be able to locate their anti-air, locate their battery and take it out from the air. So they can't re, they can't keep firing from the, from, from those locations, which they would have to do. They'd have to sabotage them from the ground to find them and, and, and get rid of them. And so, you know, we, we, we're just, 
it's not clear where we are. And I mean, this is part of the problem with having Biden as president. I'm sorry. I'm now going to go to like a, a eternal thing. Biden has terrible foreign policy ideas. We have absolutely no reason not to think that he has terrible defense ideas. Um, he's stupid. He's always been stupid. He is a, was a stupid politician as a senator. He had stupid ideas and foolish things. And the few things that he did well or that he was sensible about, like, like crime in the 1990s, he is that he then had to go and disown, right? So his impulses are bad. His, his, his thought projections about how the world goes are bad. And I'm not, I'm saying that obviously from my, you know, my ideological, position here but i mean he is not a person that garnered an enormous amount of respect for his policy making chops that's not he just had a lot of experience and was in the senate a long time and had been on a lot of different committees but you know if you ask people who he liked in the democratic uh, caucus in the 1990s or the 2000s um when you really needed a you know like a like a sober and thoughtful person on foreign policy or 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 defense policy uh people in the senate would not have said joe biden so my point here is he's now president of the united states he was making congratulations to everybody cuz he got elected and he got 81 million votes and everything and he's the president that we have um and so there may be a limit to you know i mean i think a speech like this and the way congress is going to respond to it could really put a lot of pressure on him to you know, uh, to get more aggressive or to, uh, or to allow the United States to be more aggressive in its pursuit of aims and efforts to help the Ukrainians in this struggle. But we have to assume that his impulses are poor, and which is one of the reasons why this is a sound strategy to essentially put pressure on him from the outside, moral pressure. And that's where it gets to the thing I want to ask Noah about now. Uh, close the sky over Ukraine could be like the phrase of the year. Like we could, everyone who's interviewed over the next three or four days can say, you know, boy, that moment at the end of that video where it said, close the sky over Ukraine. I mean, you know, that just tore your heart out. Close the sky over Ukraine. When I've been saying that there, that we are not going to, we are, we are going to be a country that says, and I thought, and I said by the middle of this week, so it could be starting here. We cannot stand by and do nothing while these cities are leveled. Will the drones that you suggest that, that, that he wants, or will, the, will that be enough? And can we get them there fast enough? Because the whole thing about the MiGs was that they could have been there Tuesday. They could have been there last Tuesday, last Wednesday. Um, and they weren't. Yeah, everybody was tripping over themselves in the MiGs because nobody wanted to be responsible for it. Poland wanted to get them in. And we said, okay, well, Poland can get them in. And and by the way, every NATO ally can act independently if they want. Um, it's complicated because obviously every NATO ally is a member of NATO. And when you're fighting Russia, it's a very big, different thing. <clears throat> NATO said, listen, we don't want to do this. Poland said, we want to do this. You said, U.S. said, okay, go ahead and do it. Poland said, okay, we're going to transfer these MiGs to Ramstein. You can do it. We don't want to do it. We said, you go ahead and do it. So everybody's arguing with themselves over how we're going to get these MiGs. And meanwhile, we're flooding the place with javelins, stingers, manpads, laws, half a dozen other systems designed to close the skies over Ukraine. Um, the distinction between offensive and defensive weaponry. And also, one of the big problems here is that we're talking primarily about altitude-launched cruise missile strikes, which fixed-wing aircraft can't do a thing about. So we're kind of talking past each other, which is why... Uh, Vladimir Zelensky offered an alternative in the form of S-300s and other systems, quote, if that's too much to ask. 
he said. Uh, so there's moral suasion going on here. And part of it is the fact that Ukraine has been able to hold out as long as it can. And it's been able to hold out as long as it can because of the introduction of Western weaponry, which comes in every day. In hundreds of millions of dollars worth of weaponry coming in via secret routes from the West every day. And <clears throat> counteroffensive are being conducted, according to the Russian army, not the Ukrainian Ministry of Defense, the Russian army, saying they foiled a counterattack, a Ukrainian counterattack against the Karkova hydroelectric power station, which Russia captured on the very first day of invasion. We are beginning to see counteroffensives in and around uh, the, the Kiev Oblast, uh, pushing towards the north, and around uh, Kharkiv, pushing back towards the east. Um, the south is a completely different situation, but even Mariupol's holding out, despite the incredible humanitarian crisis that's unfolding there. Uh, in the absence of that kind of resistance, there would be a lot less pressure on Washington, but, but there's profound pressure on Washington, and they are folding, as Joe Biden has demonstrated. Congress has approved these weapons. Joe Biden's going to, dem- going to introduce these weapons. We're flooding this place with weaponry in a way that is actually stalling the Russian advance. And I don't see... We're also getting interesting reports from the hinterlands of Moscow and in, in places like Syria, where they're recalling Russian troops, they're recalling Russian troops from South Ossetia. There's like 200 Russian troops in South Ossetia. They're actually beginning to move more weaponry, more men, more material to this, to this fight because they're suffering so many tactical setbacks that are becoming a strategic failure. We're watching a strategic failure unfold. And Biden and, and the West might be convinced that it just requires a couple other little pushes to do something that no one thought was possible three weeks ago, stall the Russian advance and actually push them back. So that, but that's my question too. We also, the, the other interesting reports coming out more recently are the, uh, that Russia might be asking China for some of its MREs, meals ready to eat, because it doesn't, it can't feed its own troops that are already uh, in the field. Like the logistics uh, disaster that's been the Russian army invasion is something that I assume strategists will study for, for years to come. But here's my question. If we don't, if we just kind of wait it out in a way and let them, you know, keep giving them doing exactly what we're doing now and we reach a stalemate or the, there's some negotiation between Russia and Ukraine and, and there's a ceasefire strategically, where does that place Ukraine in terms of NATO, in terms of, I mean, are they going to have to bargain away some things that we might as in terms of our own interests, not want to see them have to bargain away just to end the fighting because we're not stepping up our own commitment to it. Look, Zelensky has, has signaled in these peace talks or whatever is going on with Russia has signaled that his, let's say his, um, not offensive, but his visionary ambitions, let's say for the future, he is willing to table, right? I mean, he said, we'll, 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 we'll stop talking about, we, we've come to the table and we, we will stop talking about NATO. We'll stop talking about membership in NATO. If that'll, if, if that'll appease you, we won't talk about it that much. And we'll, we can come to some kind of modus vivendi on, on, on the already extant existence of semi-autonomous regions within Ukraine that are responsive to Russia. And maybe even the annexation of Crimea. I mean, we don't know. This is what, what? You're sh- Noah's shaking his head. But what? I have a question. Nothing's Mike, off the table because they uh, were the, on the, the table. Acknowledgement of, uh, in, uh, of territorial dis- disintegration uh, and the acknowledgement of the legitimacy of uh, the invasion of Donbass and Crimea are off the table. No, no. No, no, I'm not saying legitimacy. I'm saying that he is, he is willing in a real, in real world yeah, terms to say, but he, that he's willing to say, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, 
where this doesn't have to end with you leaving Donbass and and uh, you know and, and Kharkiv. Like, I mean, well, hold, hold on, hold on. I just yeah. How does that sit alongside his proposal of a U twenty four, which is something larger than NATO? Right. Something exactly. that would that would certainly yeah. freak Putin out. He could keep his word um, and not be in NATO. He has this no, other thing. No, <laughs> all I'm saying that's is precisely yeah. it. Is he saying, listen, we're we're not in NATO. We're not going to be in NATO. He has said that. And it is an acknowledgement of reality because yeah. they're, they're never going to be in NATO. They're not, not with the territorial dispute ongoing, an armed dispute with Russia. However, he's also said, listen, I'm willing to entertain the idea of neutrality as long as we have strict security guarantees from NATO members. Okay. So you're effectively <laughs> in NATO. You're if- effectively in NATO without being in NATO. But I'm, I, all I'm saying is, um, you know, uh, there is there there's there's a lot of room there's a lot of wiggle room here relatively speaking uh the issue is what is going on in putin's head and wh- what is it that putin wh- how is putin willing to accept this uh humil you know the 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 ultimate humiliation that will attend to the fact that he will have invaded a neighboring country and will have had to withdraw on the grounds that that was not a successful you know that was not a successful conclusion remember the the russians went into afghanistan after they installed a puppet regime and with the argument that they were simply supporting uh, the puppet regime that they had, that they had installed uh, he doesn't have any such game to play here so there's no face saving thing even though even though there was no face saving when the russians pull up at least they said no we did we came to <laughs> We did. We did. We set out to do here because we weren't actually really here to take over the country, or because because obviously that's the only reason that that Russia's in Ukraine is to take it over and to annex it and to subsume are, it inside Russia. They are kidnapping local officials all over the place. They're kidnapping mayors, and and that that might people might say, oh, that's just what happens in war. But I think strategically for Putin, that's actually a, that's the foot in the door to say, look, actually these these regions are not, and then they, they install Russia friendly folks who then go on uh, Russian media and talk about how oh we have to Ukrainians need to stop fighting. We're, Russia is here to help us and save us. That's that's happened more than once now, and if that right. continues, then you do have this well, kind of propaganda tool to but say this is. Want us here. This is where the counteroffensive or the counterattacks or the success of Ukraine's resistance is so important because I don't know what you'd bet on if you were some kind of a soulless, principleless, you know, Ukrainian hack politician uh, or whatever. Would you bet that that was a wise play to align yourself with, with Russia at this? Not, not that, not that Russia might not ultimately prevail but do you want to be you know a capo is that what you want you want to be a signatory to your 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 country's devastation and destruction even if it gives you momentary limited power the more the stronger or the more the ukrainians resist the less likely russia is to create these vichy officials who will who will serve their interests because uh, they won't feel safe doing it they won't feel safe walking around on the street. They'll somebody will somebody will cut their heads off with a machete, dart, dart out from behind an alley, and and you know and 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 do that kind of thing. So that's an important element of preventing that this this heroic resistance, which changes the facts on the ground and screws up that part of the strategy. 
right? Which is the creation of a fake. Yeah, go ahead. For eight years, Ukrainians have been engaged in an actual ongoing armed conflict against Russia in the Donbass. And they're very acutely aware of what happens in the Donbass. Donbass is a criminal regime, for lack of a better term. It disappears people all the time. It imprisons people all the time. It seizes property all the time. It makes church property illegal all the time. Um, It is a place without rules, without law. And so everybody in the east of Ukraine eight years ago who shared cultural affinities with Moscow, who spoke Russian, never learned how to speak Ukrainian, have relatives on the other side of the border, travel to and from consistently all the time. Eight years ago, that was the regular state of affairs. It hasn't been the state of affairs for the better part of a decade. Everybody in the east of Ukraine has seen how Moscow does business, which is why you have this intense resistance, this real popular insurgency, unlike anything anybody's ever seen in in our lifetimes. We think about popular insurgencies like Iraq and Afghanistan as though they were popular insurgencies. They were not. They were militia groups. This is a popular insurgency, and it's one that Russia fomented, and they understand the stakes far better than we do. So when a, 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 a mayor of Kherson is disappeared and replaced with this pliant official, it comes as no surprise to anybody in in Ukraine. They've seen how this works in Donbass and in Crimea. And it just shocks our senses because this is the sort of thing that isn't supposed to happen anymore. But it's been happening for a decade. Right. You know, um, the, the other interesting aspect of, of, the, of the success of the Ukrainian resistance and this plausible scenario that Putin is not ultimately going to succeed in his aims is not just that he has to go to China for for food rations for his military, which is an astonishing fact, if true, because, of course, theoretically, he's been preparing for this for a couple of years. And that's like logistics 101. Like if you're going to if you're going to have a battle plan that involves the deployment of 200,000 people, you need to have a you need to have that's literally where the term supply chain comes from. Right. The supply chain is the thing that supplies a military when you go on an advance. That is what a supply, that is, that is the or origination of the term. You're supposed to, that's what you're supposed to have in place. That's why you spend all this time war planning. Cause it's like, okay, if this, then what? Then you need food. You're going to need to have replacement boots and replacement socks and replacement sweaters and things like that. And you're going to have to have, you know, the ability to strike camps and, and break down camps and, and, and have, things to cut trees down when you need to make new roads and all of that. That's what war planning is. It's not just, oh, look, I have a map and I can make arrows like a like an NFL, you know, uh, game plan where we go here and they come here and then you move little pieces around a little board and you play war games. Like, that's not what war planning is. And if it's that incompetent, this is one of the reasons that, like, the Institute for the Study of War, which is a, um, you know... Uh, friend Fred Kagan has you know started it and and it is a tries to look very dispassionately at the order of battle in these kinds of conflicts and says there is reason to believe that Russia can lose this like actually lose it not win it and you know or or not you know not to be stalemated but could actually lose and you know there's an inter- I'll give you an interesting analogy here in 2006, Israel had to go to war in South Lebanon, people may remember, and it had been a long time since the Israeli army had been engaged in the north, the army, the regular army, like deployments of actual, you know, uh, and, and so there were these warehouses where the supplies had been kept for this very purpose. 
And uh, when the soldiers got there to the in the north, it turned out that the warehouses had been raided, probably by Russian gangsters or stuff like that. And there was nothing there. You know, it's cold in the north. There were no sweaters. There were no socks. There was no rain gear. There were no tents. There was all sorts of stuff that wasn't there. And people like my sister actually had to get in their cars and drive things like clothing up to their to to kids who were like deploying there because they had to get them somehow, right? And what had happened is that Israel had been, it had been so long since Israel had done this, that even this country, which we look at and think has the most remarkable and prepped and serious military, and it has, you know, annual reserve, months of reserve and things like that, could slip on the readiness factor, and could fall into complacency, could fall into disrepair, uh, not have a proper reporting system that says we really need to, you know, we, we're going in there every week to make sure that stuff isn't stolen and that kind of thing. And there was a crisis in Israel over this and humi- it was considered humiliating and damaging and, and the, and the military was refurbished and people were held accountable and all of that. Clearly that's something similar there- is happening here in that there, nobody, no one in Russia has probably any particular reason to be particularly competent at doing the things that were necessary to prepare Russia for this invasion of Ukraine. The only thing they have is the fear of Putin. But there, there, <clears throat> in this discussion, we should mention there is still the the distinct possibility, the logistics and and supply chain problems notwithstanding, or even in, in perhaps because of them that Putin introduces nastier weapons into this. Uh, it's been about a week since the White House said that's what that they expected to see chemical weapons introduced. Um, I think as his situation gets more desperate, it's more likely not less. Okay, if that's the case, then, Noah, let's game this up. But before we game that out, uh, let me just talk to you guys about today's advertiser bowl and branch the softest sheets you'll ever get 17 inch deep fitted sheets so they go perfectly on your mattress and labeled to show you which side is left and which side is right which is up which is down signature sheets that feel so soft and you'll forget you're not actually sleeping on a cloud and sustainably made use only 100 percent sustainable raw materials the first fair trade certified manufacturer of linen okay Signature hem sheets, buttery, soft, lightweight, organic cotton in a classic sateen weave. They get softer over time. They're not too hot. They're not too cool. The perfect year-round sheets for most sleepers. And Bowling Branch focuses on quality over quantity. No inflated thread counts here. They're made to a higher standard. They give you a fair price. 30-day risk-free trial with free shipping and returns. So experience the best sheets you've ever felt at BowlingBranch.com. Get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code COMMENTARY at checkout. That's B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H.com, promo code COMMENTARY. Okay, when I said let's game this out, you as the person on the podcast who is the most nervous about any kind of direct engagement between particularly the United States and Russia, given Russia's a possession of uh, weapons of mass destruction, particularly nuclear weapons uh, and all of that. Given everything that's happened, given even Zelensky's speech today, given the video that we've seen already, given the fact that this is, you know, on the nightly news and we have 90% of Americans saying that they're following this closely, 80% of them support uh, as much aid to Ukraine as we can think to give them. Um, 
uh, almost nobody is against uh, supporting Ukraine and all of that. Uh, but there's considerably more skepticism about direct involvement, right? Uh, no fly zones, things like that, when you actually dig deep and you explain to them what, what, what they might mean. Imagine the use of chemical weapons and the, and the view of the American public and the, um, you know, and, and the West uh, if, if this should happen. Um, you said that ha- should he fire off a tactical nuke last week, you said, uh, there would be almost no choice for the West but to respond with overwhelming force to make sure that no one ever does this again and to, you know, I don't know, to level what or to destroy what, but you can't even begin to imagine that's World War well, III. And remember, that's Biden saying, that. oh, you want World War III? Yeah. But chemical weapons... We're not, I mean, this is where Putin, this is where, again, Putin defining these terms. We are not staying out of this if chemical weapons are used. That's what I would say. I don't know what it means that we're out of it or in it. But we we are not going to stand by if they use chemical weapons. Right? I don't know what that means. Help me game this out. I would, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I think there's a radiological event that's possible that could uh, scramble everything. Um, and I think there's a chemical weapons response that could scramble anything. And we ha- we don't really have a doctrinal response to the use of chemical weapons. I wish we did. Um, we reluctantly responded under the Trump administration to the Assad regime's multiple uses of unsophisticated chemical weapons, um, not, not, not like nerve agents, but chlorine gas. Um, but that occurred following multiple reported uses of chemical weapons we did not it was a one night and a one night strike right it was a one night one time strike that was communicated ahead of time to the russians who were on the ground in fact because we didn't want to kill any russians um we didn't respond when syria used chemical weapons we didn't respond when north korea used chemical weapons in a uh, malaysian airport we didn't respond uh when russia used chemical weapons in an attack on uh uh uh, the uk with the exception of some, you know, mild sanctions. So is a non-response to a, 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 a chemical weapons use envisionable? Sure. It depends on the images we see. It depends on the fallout we see. Right. It depends Obviously. on the theater in which it is used. As if, if this is used in a heavily populated area and kills 10,000 civilians, then I think all bets are off. Um, tech, nuclear weapons are a very different animal. Uh, well, obvi- Right. Well, not obviously, but I don't. I don't even want to talk. So, so I. I don't want. I don't want to go to the nuclear yeah, thing because that that creates a, with the response because we're talking about a realistic possibility sure. here, which is somehow the use of chemical weapons as a tool of terror, as a way of saying to the Ukrainians, "Break! You must now break. We are. We are going. We're going crazy." We're going to poison you, and we're going to poison your children, and we are going to not stop. Right. Better just break, give in, because we'll do what we have to do, and you know we don't give a shit anymore, right? That's basically what the use of chemical weapons would be. Um, I think that you know, analogizing it to the you know the attack on uh, on uh, Kim uh, Kim Kim's uncle uh, or or uh, Litvinenko or whoever uh, in or the the Scribble. the Scripple. Um, that stuff is wrong because those were essentially assassination attempts that went a little awry, uh, uh, and they, they were aimed at one person. Yeah, that's uh, why it's not a great idea to use weapons of mass destruction on an individual targeted, person. <laughs> targeted yes. assassination attempt. Right. Okay, but my right, but my point here, 
uh, is that this would be a use of chemical weaponry in full view of the planet. Uh, there's always been a kind of weird deniability about the use of chemical weapons. Syria still claims it didn't. There were there's a there's a long oh, question be- about whether or not the Soviet the Soviets used chemical weapons in Afghanistan. Um, uh, an enormous amount of controversy, opinions on both sides saying they did, they didn't. It was called the Yellow Rain. Whether or not it happened, um, there's always deniability. And if this happened, it won't be deniable. Oh, well, it won't to the people be who want to, to the people who want to advance that narrative. Absolutely. You can envision absolutely exactly who will say the Ukrainians poisoned themselves. The Ukrainians use chemical weapons on themselves. You know who they are. Okay, but fine. So, yeah, there's some small body of, you know, some small body of opinion of people who, you know, stole American documents and published them online and are now basically once again serving as Putin's agents in the United States, despite their wondrous embrace of, um, of, you know, the horrors of political, uh, you know, uh, correctness and all of that. So the, so the, uh, the, so, uh, the puppets, Putin's puppets in the West will, uh, resurface on Twitter and elsewhere from their redoubts in Brazil to tell people that the Ukrainians poisoned themselves but most people aren't going to believe that, and certainly Congress isn't going to believe that, and the combined wisdom of the West isn't going to believe that. And I don't even think Tucker Carlson will believe it when push comes to shove, even though he loves the guy from Brazil who is Putin's puppet and loves to have him on TV talking like about how terrible America is. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy to sub. I I, no, I, right. I, op- I open tweeted him, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, back in the day when I was on Twitter. Anyway, my point is that uh we're sitting here saying uh, it's horrible watching these bombs go when we're going to we've you know we're we're going to send 10 billion dollars worth of military aid to Ukraine chemical weapons abe we we have to res- we are going to respond in a way we haven't responded to anything since um, vietnam i think if <clears throat> excuse me i think if there are chemical weapons we'll see boots on the ground how about that if it's well, some kind, if it's, if it's the kind of if, if it's the kind of attack that we're talking about that, that Noah's describing, you're talking about ten thousand or tens of thousands of people. Closing the sky isn't going to necessarily stop it, right? The heads of state of Poland, Czechia, and I think Slovakia were in Kiev yesterday. They traveled across the border by train. They went to the capital. They met with the government. They're under fire, and they they went there. On boots on the ground, American or Western political officials. And the um, prime minister of Poland is calling for a, quote, peace mission into Western Ukraine, um, which would effectively be deployments of a NATO ally inside Ukraine. So uh, the frontier uh, is very anxious, very nervous, and they want to get involved and they've wanted to get involved and they want to get involved yesterday. We're the, you know, Western Europe and uh, the United States and Canada. We're the, we're the, you know, the lagging indicators here. Um, so there's already intense interest in that. And in the event, in that event, I can absolutely see within the space of 24 hours, Western officials, officials talking themselves out of the moral responsibility that will be imposed on them in the immediate aftermath of that. I can also see Eastern, uh, the Eastern flank of NATO breaking and introducing, um, without NATO's imprimatur, uh, peacekeeping uh, forces into Western Ukraine on their own. I think... The question here goes to the heart of the American response, because in the end, 
We also, as I keep saying, we also have nuclear weapons. We're the most powerful country on earth. Putin has a gas station with nuclear weapons attached to it. If we decide to get scary, we can scare the shit out of him. We can scare the shit out of him. We are not scary yet to him. We have never yet been scary to him. If something, if something this bad happens, and this is, uh, this is the problem, right? Because then you go, well, a scare. We don't want Putin to be scared because then maybe he'll do something even worse. But we, we don't know that. Like, we don't. I do the, think he's scared, John. He's been scared. Otherwise, he would be harassing NATO assets in a much more deliberate fashion. I don't know that he would be because, I mean, how much focus, like, I think if this had gone reasonably well, then he would have started turning his, you know, attention to scaring NATO assets and toward harassing NATO assets. And I do think I'm obviously no, know nothing about Putin except like what everybody else knows in newspapers having read a couple of books and all that, but they're, they're in a much harder situation than we realized. And he is not a military guy. He's a KGB guy. And every time he has done a military incursion, it has been over uh, a much weaker uh, adversary who, uh, you know, who didn't have the heart in it to fight and was too scared of him to really engage. And he's come up against something that he didn't expect. And, you know, there's only so much attention that you can give. We're talking about how we can't fight a two-front war. How on earth can he fight a two-front war? What is he going to do now? He's going to invade. He's going to invade the the Baltics. He's going to harass the Baltics while he is paying attention to. That's I don't exactly know that he right, can do that's that. That's exactly right. That they don't have the capabilities. They don't have the conventional capabilities. They have the unconventional capabilities. Yeah, and that's what we want to avoid. We don't want you still need to conflagration, right? You still need to be able to pay attention. You still need to be able to spend four hours a day on that while you're doing that, as well as twelve hours a day on you know on on ukraine and then maybe you get a little sleep uh between the you know between the cocaine you're taking and the and the energy shots you're getting or whatever it is that you know that's keeping him going i don't know i mean i'm just saying like uh when you are you know when you have a problem like this uh uh that you face in ukraine it can be all consuming and it's not so easy to shift your focus that's why i think this weekend strike uh, on the border of poland that killed a lot of people the te- you mean the, te- the 10 people, miles from poland 10 miles from poland which was you know a, a fixed position a transportation hub where where the, the weapons were introducing from the north or, or from the west are introduced and then dispersed through the country that was a signal to me to go to press the gas because they don't have the capabilities to introduce fixed wing aircraft into western ukraine the sky is closed effectively over western ukraine you can hit shoot missiles missiles over there but you can't use strategic bombers and fixed wing aircraft to access this place to hit convoys that are moving that's a signal to me that we should do everything we possibly can to keep going introducing these weapons into western ukraine because they just can't stop it they sent a, a shot over the bow shot into the bow it hurt but it definitely demonstrated the limits of their capability as much as their capabilities to hit us and the limits Seemed to me like an invitation to go. Now that's going to be scary in the event that they want to introduce other, you know, naval assets into the into the, uh, for example, around Baltic states, and it really start threatening them. But like you say, John, they're all tied up in Ukraine right now. Their options are very limited, and we can harass them in a way that keeps harassing them in a in a, in a fashion that is that has hardened into something stable without 
scaring them to the point where they feel like they need to introduce unconventional weapons to change the balance here. I just, uh, I, I think that uh, the, the deterrence requires a, a, a belief on Putin's part that um, the United States uh, is, a, is a sleeping giant slow to anger, but when it gets involved, um, uh, and it gets involved fully and emotionally and seriously, like that is, that is, that is not something that he wants to see. And I just don't think he feels that. I th- one of the, I mean, the, the doctrinal response, there is none, but there should be, is that a, a nation that has a nuclear arsenal that uses a nuclear weapon offensively should be stripped of their capacity to use offensive strategic nuclear right. weapons, which would mean a, a gigantic strategic volley against their ICBMs. Right. Okay. But that's terrifying. But that is no, the response. I know, but you're, you're, you've, gone, you've gone to the nukes, and I'm not going to the nukes. I'm going to, if he escalates with, with chemical weapons, we have to escalate. What does that mean? I mean, we, we, he cannot, I'm just saying, it's, it's not even that we need to because of doctrine or anything like that. The it's United the States. Of a NATO yeah. blockade. Okay, but the United States is emotionally involved in what is going on there, and so is the West. And Zelensky today just just deepened that involvement. I mean, I don't know how many people are going to see that. I don't know what, you know, it was nine o'clock in the morning. I don't know how, how much the news is, you know, what they're going to see. They're going to see him talking in English. Maybe they'll see the video, uh, which is probably the most devastating thing they could possibly see. Um, we are not going to stand by. That's my point. We are not going to, and you're saying we've done a lot and we're doing a lot and we deserve credit for doing a lot and we're going to do more and flood the zone with weapons and all of that. Um, I just think, am I wrong, Christine? No, Abe, I, I like, am I, I? Yeah, no, I, I think we're. I think if that happens, we're at war. We go to war, right? But even yeah, before I, that happens, our our sense of the injustice here and the fact that we can help to prevent more horror uh, is gripping. It's it's actually. I thought you know attention was going to get. You know, our attention spans are short. This was going to you know we were going to move on to something else. You know. Uh, and I, it doesn't seem to be happening. Like it seems like our attention is deepening. Even it, the even the anti-war, anti-military progressives are signaling, at least with their rhetoric, that well, we, you know, we've always wanted to 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 downgrade the military budget in this country and do more important progressive things. But right now, this is a real crisis. I mean, even they are picking up on a mood shift, for, even compared to last week, where people are not averting their eyes from what is going on. And I think again, the timing of his address to Congress this week is is going to be important for sustaining that that very crucial interest because I it is a huge crisis. It is something that right. we should be easily distracted from. I also want to say that I, I, I'm trying to die. I've been saying this since the beginning. I'm trying to diagnose this rather than cheerlead for it because I, I don't know what's best here. It's the nature of unprecedented situations is that, is that you don't know you can use history as a guide partially, but not fully. And it's not like I have any answer to whether or not our, our, our more sustained involvement could have terrible unintended consequences that, you know, and all of that. I, I, I just, I don't know. I just think I understand the, I understand the American political consciousness and the American political system and the American voter a little better to understand when they get emotionally invested in something. It's like this thing that happens in America, 
you know, when people think that something terrible is going on, people in this country will raise an astounding amount of money for something out of nowhere. I know we have 330 million people. We're so, the income inequality is so terrible and everything like that. You know, somebody sees somebody starving, $3 billion is raised privately in five seconds. You know, it's like that. Like, we are not, we are not by nature people who think that you're supposed to remain uninvolved. You're supposed to, you're supposed to be involved. It's the, it's the one thing, the Tocquevillian thing. You know, it's like we are still that country. Uh, we, despite the fact that we feel like we're, we're less and less that country and Ukraine is stimulating that in, in the American body politic. And, uh, Biden doesn't want to be the president of that country, but he is. And so, uh, either he will respond to it in a way he will be forced to respond to the country's hungers or he will, or he will stand stalwartly against it. And then he will continue to degrade in the eyes of, of, of the people who even once formerly may have voted for him. I just, you know, I don't know. I didn't, we get, get a chance to talk and maybe we could do this tomorrow about, um, about this kind of a cascade of horror, urban horrors everywhere over the last week, week and a half, um, which I think we really should talk about these. Uh, I mean, they're largely in New York, but also in Washington, this, you know, serial killer killing homeless people, uh, you know, uh, well-dressed women in their thirties, uh, killing a woman by pushing her to, to the ground, more killings in subways, uh, you know, uh, Portland and, and Seattle continuing to be hellscapes and all of that. And what, what all that suggests about, you know, uh, whether or not we're going to respond to that stuff too. But we obviously didn't have time to do that today. So we'll, we'll, we'll do it tomorrow. And uh, so for Abe, Noah, and Christine, I'm John Bodhoritz. Uh, keep the candle burning.